This is the Identity at the Center podcast. This is the show that talks about identity and access management and making sure you know who has access to what. Let's get started. Welcome to the Identity at the Center podcast. I'm your host, Jim McDonald, and I'm going solo for this special episode. Jeff Stedman is on a much-deserved break and we're recording on Christmas Eve. Today, our discussion will be focused on the recent SolarWinds Orion 9 code compromise, which has been in the headlines recently and affects many of our listeners in the IEM industry. I'm joined today by a repeat guest, Paul Velocian, who joined us last in episode 41, way back in April of this year. Paul is a fellow IEM practitioner and overall cybersecurity junkie. Welcome to the show, Paul. Hi, Jim. Very happy to be on. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, we're glad to have you and uh, with everything going on in the news. But before we get into that, uh, are you done all of your shopping? I've done all my shopping in the sense that I've done no shopping. Um, I myself don't have any children, but I have siblings and we're all grown up. So just being with each other and spending time is gift enough uh, uh, for all of us. So I guess I'm pretty lucky. I haven't had to do shopping for anybody else other than me in this particular season. Yeah, you know, I've done, a, I, I do have to do shopping. I have kids and everything. And I found that I'm doing a lot of my shopping online. I'm trying to support the local businesses. So I'm going to go out and pick up a few things today. Uh, but yeah, it's that time of season. And I'm a I'm a procrastinator when it comes to this stuff. So, uh, yeah, I've got to do a few things today. So, so for anybody who is celebrating Christmas or you know whatever holiday you're celebrating, if it's coming around this time, I hope you are having a good one and enjoying it. By the time this episode rolls, it will be after Christmas. Um, so, on today's topic. Paul, tell us what's going on with the solar wind code compromise, which I've jokingly, or I've seen jokingly referred to as SolarGate or SolarGate. Yeah, definitely. So it's really interesting. In in my view, and this is just sort of my opinion, I think this is the, you know, Pearl Harbor style sort of, um, it's not attack intrusion in the sense that um, everyone is so caught off guard. So based on what we know so far, and this is looking at information from Microsoft and CISA and SANS and FireEye and others, what we know is that malicious code was inserted into a very popular network management system software called Orion by, built by uh, SolarWinds, which is from my home city, Austin, Texas. And so this compromised code or Trojan goes back to at least um, as early as March 2020 and was present in downloadable patches for the Orion management software until June 2020. So as part of that code, um, someone we suspect was a state actor was able to insert malicious Trojanized code, which ran on um, anyone that had that particular version installed. But the estimate is around 18,000 customers by SolarWinds. So this Trojanized uh, software, um, because the services run as uh, high, higher privilege elevated accounts allowed the attacker to gain a foothold in the network and then um, kick off various others attacks as well against the organization. So it's a pretty big deal just because of the the scope of potentially affected targets and also 
uh, how much uh, damage the attacker can do once they've compromised um, a network. Yeah, and the, the whole concept of a Trojan horse is to uh, kind of, you know, look like a non-threatening type of code or patch or update and then hide malicious uh, content and it kind of dating back to the Trojan horse attack in, in the days of, uh, of ancient Greece. Um, so I, I always think that's that's interesting if you think about it is like burying this code in something that seemed uh, you know kind of innocuous and really it, it's quite the opposite. You know, so really what the attack was about was getting through that that you know a penetrating networks and then getting in the door and and what setting up accounts. So I guess this is about this is really an IEM uh, type of issue, really, you know, going in and setting up new accesses to networks. Um, you know, our our listeners are fellow IEM practitioners. So can we talk a little bit? Can you talk a little bit about how this affects them? Yeah, definitely. Um, but I want to just go a little bit more detail on this particular attack because uh, I just, just a little bit talk more about how, how it works because um, I think it's important to understand that. Um, and also understand the the breadth of capabilities that it had. So, and just touch about a couple things you mentioned. So it's trojanized in multiple ways. So one, um, as we mentioned, it enters the organization and network through the Orion software. And then two, what I think is really sophisticated, it's got many uh, anti-detection mechanisms. For example, it checks if you have any soft, any security tools running and it doesn't execute. It checks if it's running in a SolarWinds environment and it doesn't execute. It checks if it's running into a VM environment and doesn't execute. So there's a like high level of heuristics that it checks to make it really, really hard. It checks, for example, one of the questions I had is why didn't somebody put a Wireshark trace on this and just see the, the data going out? Well, it's because it checks very simply if Wireshark is running and also all of Microsoft's anti um, or security tools. So that makes it really sophisticated um, in its anti, um, anti-detection mechanism. Um, and then the next stage, once it's in a target network, which is not SolarWinds, it's not a VM, it's not being inspected, um, it, it waits a period of time before it gets, gets any data, but then it's able to perform operations right so, so so some of those operations as you mentioned include account creation because the orion software is running with high level of privileges it's able to create accounts in the local system it's able to use that to eventually gain access to a domain and domain admin or add accounts to the domain admin groups um and um you know that's one way that it's it's a it's an im issue is that it compromises the identities um, of legitimate users in the organization. Seems like, uh, you know, Active Directory would be, is really a main target for uh, this malicious code. Is that right? Yeah. So the, the goal, the ultimate goal of the attacker is really to exfiltrate data, in my opinion, or in my view. Um, and so to be able to do that, they want to gain as high level access as, as they can. Um, so, and often the on-prem is just a stage to the cloud-based attack. So once they have, once they've entered the network and the organization, um, they usually create a new account, which they will add to a domain admin group, for example. And then they'll gain access to the token signing certificate, 
which they will grant, uh, generate a new SAML, to- SAML certificate that they can use to access uh, any sort of cloud federation trust that exists, and then enter that um, environment and then exfiltrate data, read emails, uh, create new accounts. So this is, you know, this is a, a core IM issue um, because it does have to do with, uh, you know, with identities. So Paul, I've been seeing a lot of uh, press covering this and, you know, talking about the complexity of the attack. It, it seems pretty sensical from the standpoint of get in kind of, perform lateral movement, set up accounts, but, you know, they, they've kind of tied it back to a nation state attack. Uh, everything I've seen in the news that it's likely from Russia, but, you know, given what we know about it, why did they draw that conclusion that it was a nation state behind this attack? Yeah, it's a good question. So the conclusion is really because of the, a couple of reasons. One, the sophistication is requires a high level of talent. Um, and two is what they did with it. So they, it looks like it's specifically targeted. It's not just causing damage for no reason, or it's not ransomware. So it's specifically targeted to organizations like FireEye, which you initially found it when their security tools were exfiltrated. Um, and then it also targeted the treasury department. Um, and it's also installed on all, most or all of the government, sorry, most of all the military organizations. Um, so it's very targeted. Microsoft identified, I think, a list of 40, 40 um, customers, its customers that have been affected. Um, but the list is, um, a, the list is a, is a, is a fine and small list. And what it allows you to do is what's called uh, attack, keyboard on attack or attack on keyboard. So it really allows somebody remote control into the organization. Um, so the level of sophistication, the target is what really suggests that this is a nation state actor. Right. It seems like there, there's two things at play. One is kind of how they get in and how they, they move around. But then it's also how they're using that, uh, that stolen access, right? It's, they're going in and uh, getting access to email and, and things like that. Correct. Yeah. So one of the capabilities that they're they're adding when they're forging these sample certificates is being able to read emails and yeah that's that's one one of the things that that they're doing is is a capability to read emails so it's a very serious serious attack yeah it seems like one of the things that i've been reading a lot about is on the on the sample side if an organization is running an idp and the one that i've seen identified the most is adfs and i'm not sure if that's because the um the organizations that have been attacked in kind of a high profile way are, are ADFS users. Uh, but it seems like the, that the mode of attack has been to uh, kind of take over the private signing certificates of those uh, ADFS servers and then kind of impersonate users from a SAML perspective. Is that also what, what you've seen in your research? Yeah. So once it's comp, once the on-prem network is compromised and there's a trust relationship with the, um, cloud environment, um, if, if the attacker can get admin access, which is required to the on-prem environment, then they can, uh, get abilities to sign their own SAML keys, um, certificate, excuse me. Uh, they get the private key to create and sign their own SAML certificates, and then they can go to the cloud and 
perform any operation. So there, everything you said, you know, um, is true. But the important thing I really want to point out is that the compromise has to be done through the on-prem system. And it's really an abuse of the SAML architecture. Um, it's, not, it's not a vulnerability in the architecture itself. It's just an abuse of it because the attacker through, through on-prem federation trust was able to abuse that privilege and, and, and then uh, gain, gain the right tool to do those operations in the cloud. You know, Paul, I've seen a lot of, um, of press where the number that you threw out there, 18,000 organizations affected by this. The ones I've been hearing about the most are United States federal government. Uh, I've also heard, you know, a lot of high tech companies and uh, major multinational corporations. But I would imagine that, you know, SolarWinds Orion was something used by other governments as well. Do you have any uh, information on that? Is that any of that been put in the news? Like, what other nations besides the United States have been uh, affected and are dealing with this at the moment? Yeah, I know that there are other nations that are affected. The names don't quite come to mind, but um, in the yeah, as you mentioned, the the customer base is so large. I mean, in the in the Fortune 500, I think it's like 425 out of 500 customers that have um, Orion software, and so those. The penetration by solar winds into the network segment is something that they have bragged about in the past. Um, so it's definitely uh, it's international. But I don't I can't say the specific countries off the top of my head which ones they were that were known to be affected. Right, right. You know what? What is kind of um, you know when you think about eighteen thousand organizations, so many uh, the attackers are probably focused on you know, top targets first, but this is something that could be getting dealt with for a long time uh, by a lot of organizations. I think the relevant question is for our IAM practitioners is what should they be doing now? I would imagine a lot of this comes down to uh, detection of whether or not there's an active um, attack underway within their walls. Yeah, certainly. So the first thing I would really recommend is to follow vendor-specific uh, guidance on how to first ensure that your configuration is secure. So, for example, Microsoft has very specific guidance on how to uh, segregate your on-prem and cloud networks, how to securely access, how to set up access policies for on-prem and cloud, and how to make sure that they um, don't increase uh, the risk of compromise. Um, so you want to really follow vendor vendor guidelines there. There's also tools from Microsoft that you can use to investigate anomalous activities. Um, um, of course, view logs. Um, and there's also third-party tools that are coming out right now that can can investigate anomalous activities on your network. Um, so, so I think from a automated or from, from a basic prevention perspective is you want to go back and check cross your T's and dot your I's on how you're deploying your environment and to ensure that it's secure. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of documentation on that now. Um, of course, this is after seeing if you have a solar wind system on your network uh, and making sure that you have the, the right patch and making sure that you have your Windows systems patched so that they don't trust any software that has the malicious um, code. So after the basics, good security principles there, um, you can look for specific 
activities that are just narrowly focused to IAM. So as we mentioned, one of the things it does is it creates a new account. So you need to look in your environment for new accounts that have been created for particular identities and see if it makes sense for Paul to have, who works in engineering, to have an additional account on the HR system. So some modern IJ systems can definitely you know, help with that through, say, account certification. Um, and those will tell you what new, new accounts have been created and allow you to take you know, action on them. Um, but it won't, of course, show whether the account's been compromised itself. But if you can determine that an account's been compromised, so let's just assume that Paul's account's been compromised, what you should do is you should, you should uh, revoke access really to all of the accounts for that particular identity because he may have access on 10 other systems. You should investigate the system which the access uh, has been compromised to, to see what activities have been performed and what other systems might have been used with the compromised account. Um, so that's kind of the that's kind of the, the 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 investigation if you if you zone in on a particular account or identity that you think is compromised. And there's more that we can we can do, but I'll let you talk. I'll let you make a comment. Yeah, no, it seems like some of this is is basic blocking and tackling of a good identity governance program, really knowing when accounts are being created and then privilege access. So if you have accounts that have elevated access that your privilege access management system is discovering them. Uh, but if you're not very far along in your IGA journey, uh, there's probably some limited help it can provide, but this ought to be uh, maybe a wake-up call that, hey, we really need to get this IGA program um, moving. You know, I, I kind of have been sitting here wondering about SolarWinds was, you know, they deployed the software patch and then that patch was able to go ahead and start creating accounts like you mentioned domain admins. So I'm wondering, was it leveraging the SolarWinds service account? Uh, and is there maybe a potential problem that the SolarWinds service account is, is over-credentialed? And that's what gives it the ability to kind of take these steps? So it, the SolarWinds definitely runs as the service account. And from what I've read, I haven't used this particular software itself, I, you know, but, but from what I read, it, it may actually have additional accounts that it runs in. Um, I mean, whether it's overprivileged depends on, you know, that, that's, that would take an analysis of all the small privileges, subset of privileges that it has. Um, I mean, it needs to be able to do network level operations. So it, it needs to be able to read the TCP IP stack, I'm sure. And so that gets, you, you can't just run that as, I think, least user privilege. Um, so that's a debate that's happening and starting to happen. That's a debate that's starting to happen within the industry from, are we giving software vendors too much access into our, our environment? Um, I don't yet have an opinion on that because I haven't done my specific research on on, uh, on SolarWinds. You make a good point, right? I mean, if Orion is essentially a network um, monitoring tool, it's going to need a certain level of privilege in order to do that network monitoring, right? So it's kind of a, a catch-22. It needs to have a lot of privilege to do its job, but at the same time, that opens up a potential uh, security gap, if you will. So I, it feels like doing uh, a fair amount of detection and you know monitoring of your environment, creating of new uh, 
accounts, whether they're service accounts or administrative accounts. That's something that you can you can watch. Obviously, if you want to go back in time, if you haven't had all this monitoring in place, there's you mentioned uh, going back through logs, and then of course also um, if you're running kind of any on-premise IDP, knowing that that's kind of been the the vector of attack is uh, using a, a SAML IDP to impersonate accounts. Definitely look out for your vendor recommendations. But I, I think one of my other takeaways from this is this is kind of evolving. We're learning more about it. It's kind of like the coronavirus, right? We're, we're learning more about it over time. And uh, I'm wondering for our listeners, what are some um, resources that they should be tracking on or, or staying abreast of to just stay up to date as things are evolving within this? Where are you going to be looking to continue your research? Good question. Um, I'm mostly using the Microsoft resources. Uh, I think they are some of the best. I uh, may be slightly biased because I've worked there before, but I think they really provide a really good um, uh, detailed analysis and also recommendations on what to do if you're affected and how to investigate whether you're potentially affected. Um, the DOD and NSA have also a couple of briefs out there and CISA that, that, are, that are good. Um, LinkedIn's also a great resource. So a lot of security folks are putting out content. I myself have frequently asked questions that I brought in some content, but mainly it's been uh, Microsoft uh, Research Center that's providing, I think, most of the content just to kind of understand how the problem is, just because that's been the attack vector. Um, and so Microsoft led the investigation on that. Excellent. So um, one thing I'm going to do after we're done recording is get some links from you. We'll put them in the show notes. Uh, people can reference those if they want to do further research and plus have some places to stay up to date. Paul, is there anything else on this topic that you, you want to cover at this point? Yeah, I, I want to mention one thing that I, I felt really curious. So or important to know is the way that FireEye because Fire is a company that detected this attack on SolarWinds and, and they detected it because one of their users had registered, quote unquote, registered a new MFA device. And then when that user was contacted, they said, no, I do not have that cell phone. That's not my cell phone. I have no idea who did that. And so in this case, it's the MFA requirement that triggered the investigation by FireEye, um, which brought this attack that's been under our nose for many months now into play. So the value of MFA cannot be understated and having an MFA rollout, if not as soon as possible, if you already don't have one, um, is, is very, very critical. Microsoft recommends it and anybody else recommends it. And in this case, this is kind of what almost, yeah, what, what triggered the investigation and triggered this uh, uh, finding this attack. So use MFA. Yeah. <laughs> that was good advice before the attack. It's even better advice now. Uh, use MFA. We kind of look at that today as like um, the at the base level of maturity, right? Yes. Yes. I think it's, it's, it's very, very important that we move away from password-based systems. Um, and at least at the moment, you know, Using MFA is a is a transition for us to do that. Well, Paul, if there's if there's nothing else you want to share at this moment, um, I wanted to ask you if people want to reach out to you directly. What's the best way for them to do that? Sure. So I'm on LinkedIn. I post quite regularly, perhaps too regularly, but you can reach out to me um, on LinkedIn, and 
I'll happily converse with you pretty much on any topic and help out in any way I can. And um, you're open to new connections and uh, for people to, uh, what do they call it? Not friending you, but uh, connecting with you? Yeah, of course. And I'm, I'm really big on education. So I've uh, started some efforts to provide some collaborative education services to, to anybody that's interested. So I have, for example, like a cybersecurity one-on-one course I run on Sundays, um, as well as going to start up a CISSP group shortly. So I'm happy to help out or collaborate with anybody on their cybersecurity journey, regardless of where they're at. And Paul's last name is Belotion. Um, I'll have it spelled out in the title of the show, but it's B-O-L-O. S-E-N. I got that correct, right, Paul? That's right. Uh, uh, Voloshen is the Romanian spelling or Volosin. So Paul Volosin, Volosin or Volosin or uh, Pavel Volosin. Also, I sometimes go by that. That's actually my formal name, but Paul or Pavel Volosin, you can find me. Really appreciate your time today, Paul. Um, It's been great talking to you. And, you know, I'm sure all of our listeners really appreciate uh, the research you've done and sharing that with them. We are... I think in our last episode, we said that was our last episode for the year, but hey, this is an industry that moves at warp speed. So um, one last episode we've recorded here today on Christmas Eve 2020, the year that none of us will be sad to see flip over in the calendar. So appreciate everybody listening. We'll be back to publishing the podcast in the new year. Hope everyone gets a little bit of R&R and comes back in 2021 fully refreshed. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Identity at the Center podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and visit us on the web at identityatthecenter.com. <laughs>